right. Um, two weeks ago, um, young adult retreat, half people were up at, at Pilgrim Pines, half of us were here. And, um, and I was up in children's ministries for the day. And um, at the end, they said, because there's a pastor in the room, I guess, they said, can you end the, do the final prayer? And so, um, so you got to understand what that means. Two little girls, about four and five years old, and then a bunch of boys from like five to nine. And I'm supposed to gather them together for a prayer, which is like herding cats, right? So, um, so it pops in my head as they're... And add to that, we just done wild games right before that. And then we're supposed to do a time of prayer and closing. So I said, all right, everybody sit down in a circle on the, on the, um, on the, the floor. And in order to keep them from wandering away, I said, everybody hold each other's hands. And it popped in my head. I wasn't even thinking of Thanksgiving. It popped in my head to say, let's go around and say what we're thankful for. And so the first one was Natalie. And Natalie is five. And there's a picture of Natalie coming up on the screen. And the second one was Eva, who is on your right is Eva. Natalie's on the left. That's actually Natalie's fourth birthday party. And these two girls said such sweet stuff. And then it was all the boys. And boys did what boys do when they get caught off guard. And they said things like, I'm thankful that I'm not dead. (laughs) And they went around the whole room. And all the boys did those kinds of things. And then Natalie said... I want to do another one. Can I do another one? I said, okay, because when Natalie says she wants to do something, she's probably going to do it. Um, And so Natalie shared again. Then Eva shared again. And then the boys all shared something that really mattered because these two little girls had set the tone. We got around the second time, and Natalie said, can I do another one? And I said, okay. And so she did another one. Eva did another one. And then a number of the boys did, um, did things that they were thankful for. And I just loved how... Much we can learn about thankfulness from little children. They're not worried about how they're performing. They're not worried about how they're going to be perceived. They're just thankful to God for who he is and what he's given them. So can you remember, not all of us can, most of us can remember being just filled with thanks as children. And I'd like us to try to refine some of that. Because as we've grown up, there have been these layers that have come over and things that have come in, and we have so many ways that we judge ourselves and judge others. And so this morning, um, as we come to the end of Thanksgiving weekend, I actually want to give you something to be thankful for, that it's, it's weird and it's countercultural. You won't ever hear this in the world, but I want to give you something to be thankful for, that if you can be thankful for this one thing, you can get off the treadmill of having to perform for the rest of your life. If you can be thankful for this one thing, you can quit being driven by people's expectations. If you can be thankful for this, you can stop being wrecked by your failures. You can actually be freed to live into grace and to then give people around you more grace than you've ever um, given them before. But before I want to share what this is, um, you all got received a three by five card when you came in. If you did not get a card, raise your hands and, and some of the, um, the welcome team will come around. Okay, so keep your hands up because they'll come around with cards. And, um, and you'll need a pen, duh. Um, and, 
And if, there's, if nobody in your whole aisle has a pen, then raise your hand and just say you need, raise your other hand and say you need a pen. Because we got like 20 or 30 pens. So the pen people come around, keep your hands up till you get them. All right? Um, and this is not something that you're going to hand in. So you don't have to worry about, this is going to be between you and the Lord, which means no peeking on what other people are writing, okay? Um, And here's what I want you to write. Keep your hands up and the pens are being thrown. John, pay attention. Pen, yes, score. (laughs) All right. And here's what I, (laughs) John, you're having way too much fun throwing. (laughs) Nice catch. (laughs) All right. Here's what I'd like you to write down on your three by... And this is just you. It's not coming to me. You're not going to have to read it out loud. Okay? Write down three or four of your greatest weaknesses and failures. Three or four. And, and these have to actually... I mean, don't... don't you know, I, I didn't eat breakfast this morning. That's not good enough, okay? This got to be stuff that actually matters to you. So write down... Because... What you write down here, you're going to refer to this like five times through the the message, okay? So keep your hands up if you still need pens or pencils. Three or four of your, of the, the, the failures and weaknesses that mess with your head and heart the most um, between you and, and the Lord Jesus. And I know that some of you don't have enough space on the 3 by 5 card. And some of you can't think of any weaknesses. So do your best. You don't have to write whole paragraphs. You can just write down words if you want to. Failures and weaknesses, they kind of mess you up. And you can kind of keep writing as I'm, I'm talking. When you're done, you can fold it in half if you want to so nobody else can see what it is. But, um, but don't put it too far away because we're going to pull it out, um, like I said, three or four or five times during this talk. The verse that we're going to look at today is from 2 Corinthians, the same book that Pastor Danny preached out of for the last two weeks about, um, about being cheerful givers. And, um, and the writer of the letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, is the Apostle Paul, who actually planted the church in Corinth. So he was the one that got it started. And we're going to look at, um, at, at one verse from his second letter um, to the church in Corinth. And um, if, you, if you were to go back and read um, 2 Corinthians 10, 11, 12, and 13, um, you would figure out pretty quickly that Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth was really complicated. It wasn't always fun. It was really complicated. And, um, and I understand that because, as I'm going to share with you in a couple minutes, my relationship with my last church that I pastored was also really complicated. If you read through those chapters, you realize that Paul's being criticized, and he's trying to figure out how to answer. And, and as he's kind of bringing to an end, a uh, close, um, his second letter to the Corinthian church, he shares a story about himself. And in it, he shares how God gave him a thorn in the flesh 
He said a messenger of Satan to torment him, actually. He describes it like that. And he says that three times he pleaded fervently with God, please take this away, take this away, please take this away. And God said no. And so the verse that we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And it's the only verse we're going to look at um, for the message today. Because I want you to see exactly verbatim what God said to Paul about his weakness, about his thorn in the flesh. And then I want you to see how Paul responds to what God says, because that's a model for us as well. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Um, if you, um, if in, on your phones there, the words of Jesus are in red letters, or if you have a Bible where the words of Jesus are in red letters, usually the first sentence in 2 Corinthians 12, um, 9 is in red, because it's an exact verbatim quote. God, um, Paul is quoting what God said to him. And so this is what Paul writes. He says, I pleaded for God to take this away from me, but, he, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, his response to what God has said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So, um, as we walk through this verse, each of the four kind of sections of it, I want to share with you a weakness and a failure in my life so that I'm authentically responding to what God says and what um, Paul says. And so, um, so as I was reflecting and meditating on this verse this week for me, I wrote down, I didn't have a three-by-five card, but I wrote down a number of weaknesses and failures. And here's four of them. I have way more than that. But here's four of them that, um, that I just heard the Word of God speak into this week. Um, many of you know that, um, that I was raised by a mom who was a very broken person. And that you, some of you heard some illustrations about that. I have some significant gaps in my sense of being because my mom just was not there for the four Johnson kids. I don't pick up on cues. I don't know how to receive love. It turns out that one of the reasons why I overproduce and, and overwork and overperform is so that hopefully people will love me. But when they love me, I don't know what to do about it. And this is a weakness in my character that was probably kind of formed by the time I was five years old. And I've asked God to take it away time and time again. And certainly, whereas I can learn, God's chosen not to take that away. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Secondly, as I've shared in other sermons, I've spent my entire adult life trying to figure out how to develop a God-honoring sexuality. I have struggled with less since I was a, a boy, and I have wrestled with that, and I've pleaded, and I've, I've failed, and I've failed, and I've failed, and I've repented, and I've repented, and I've repented, and I said, God, will you take it away? Will you take it away? Will you take it away? And God has never taken that away. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Third um, weakness, failure, just that I wrote down. In the year 2000, I had a mild traumatic brain injury. I've talked about that in other settings as well. Um, the, the way my doctor finally explained it to me is he said, Bill, you did the equivalent of diving headfirst into a pool that had no water. So my brain was scrambled eggs for a 
good significant period of time. Um, Marla um, told me, you know, much later that she was scared that she would not ever get me back. Um, my doctors told me that I would predictably lose, and I'm pretty sure they're right, I lost 20% of my brain capacity in that brain injury. And I was in the middle of writing my dissertation. I collected all the data, and I'm supposed to do the most thinking I've ever done in my life, and poof, there goes 20% of my brain capacity. I prayed, I said, God, will you take this away? Will you let me, you know, regain that? And God said, nope, it's not going to happen. I now am pretty sure that God was listening to Marla's prayers more than he was mine because Marla didn't want it back. You guys know, if you know me at all, you know how much energy I have and you know how I multitask. And Marla loves that I can't do that anymore. And so I think God was listening to her. The way Marla said it, the best I thought was, she said, you know, now that you had to slow down, your brain doesn't run, um, you know, 190 miles an hour. She said, you're actually a better kisser. Because I wasn't multitasking when I was kissing her, right? All right. And then the fourth weakness that came to mind was one that's kind of humiliating, but I think if we're responding to this scripture text, we got to go here too. And that is that I was actually fired from my last church. And I want to share with you about what that did to me and how God wanted to use that. It had all of the worst things of political and, you know, stupid and stuff that I... You know, I look back and I said, I should have figured that out, but it was a sabotage and all kinds of crazy stuff, so I'll talk about that as well. So, what does God say about our weaknesses and our failures and our inadequacies? He starts in 1 Corinthians 12.9 with this phrase. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And grace is one of those, like, it's such a rich theological term. It is a rich relational term. When God says, talks about his grace, he's talking about his, his love for us, his appreciation of us. It's talking about how he wants us to thrive, how he wants us to be fully alive, how he wants to bless us in every way. So, so Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy will pursue you all the days of your life. That's what God's grace is talking about when God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is what Jesus gave us when he came to earth to, to live as a human being and to live his life and then to die on a cross and be resurrected. We have received from him grace upon grace, John says. And um, when it comes to the things that you wrote down on that card, and I hope they were real ones, when it comes to our weaknesses. We don't need, God says, anything more than his grace. We don't need victory. We don't need to overcome it. We don't need to become more holy. God says, my grace, my pursuing after you, it's enough. It's really enough. We tend to think that we need all kinds of other things. We need to have good grades. We need to, to get a, a prestigious job. We need to get promotions. We have to make more money. We have to be in the right kinds of relationships. And we think that'll be enough. If I just get those things, that will be enough. If I just succeed, if I just overcome my weaknesses, that will be enough, and that will never be enough. 
Because there will always be more. There will always be some other way that you have to perform. There will always be somebody else's expectation that you have to meet up to. There will always, always be some other task that you have to accomplish and you have to overcome. God says, but my grace, God says to us, that is enough. When you have my grace, God says, you don't have to keep striving in life. God tells us that when we receive his grace, then as he pours that out upon us, when, God, when we receive God's grace, we can finally rest. We can finally be still. Because you know what? When we receive God's grace, we're no longer defined by our failures and our inadequacies. We're no longer defined by, by our sins. We can instead be defined by this overwhelming pursuing love that God has for every single one of us. So, my family of origin issues, primarily because of my mom, don't have to define me. I will probably always have gaps in my sense of being. Most of us have some junk we picked up in our families of origin. And that's okay. We don't have to overcome all of them because God's grace is efficient, is sufficient. God's grace is enough. So take out your three-by-five card and look at you what you wrote. Um, some of the things on that card are your fault. Some are not your fault. It doesn't matter. God's grace is sufficient for you. Some of you wrote down some stuff about anxiety or depression or some form of mental illness. Some of you wrote down stuff about sins that you've committed. Some of you wrote down things that were sins that were committed against you. God's incredible, precious grace in pursuing you matters more than anything that you just wrote on that card. A lot of you know that I, I actually really love Thomas Akempis. He wrote a devotional book um, called The Imitation of Christ. And Thomas Akempis wrote this. He said, he who has Christ is rich and has enough. And so this next picture up here is a calligraphy of one of my favorite calligraphers. Um, Timothy Botts is his name. And this is a little bit dark, but this is how he renders Thomas Akempis. When you have Christ... You are rich. Beyond measure, you are rich. And you have enough. God's grace is sufficient. But God isn't done yet talking because the second half of the sentence that God says that would have been in red if you had a red-letter Bible, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he adds this. And my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, that word for weakness, it, it's, it's actually the negative of strength. So everything that's not a strength, ah is the negative in Greek, athenos, okay, so the, the, whatever is not strength. And this, this refers to, to physical sickness, it refers to, to sins, it refers to um, feeling incompetent or unable. It's just this wide range. So that, that the word that, that Paul used here basically tells us there is no weakness, there's nothing we can think of as a weakness that's outside of what God is talking about here when God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, that word power is referring to the power of God when he created the universe. It refers to the power of God when he creates life. 
It refers to the power of God in raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And just as there's nothing outside of, of uh, no, no weakness that is outside of God's power, that power of God is so awesomely great. There's nothing in the universe more powerful than the God who created the universe. There's nothing in your life, there's no weakness, there's no failure that's more powerful than the God who gave you life itself. And then um, God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. That made perfect is kind of interesting. Um, It could very well be translated, God says, my power is unleashed in your weakness. That's interesting. God's power, because it's unleashed so that God's power accomplishes its purposes. Do you realize that God's power is unleashed in you more where you are inadequate than where you are competent? We spend our whole lives trying to be competent and trying to be adequate. And God says, wait, wait, over here. My power is unleashed precisely where you fail, precisely where you are not competent and where you are inadequate. So, as I said, I struggled to try to find a God-honoring sexuality my entire adult life. And I have failed far more often than I have succeeded And I have pled with God to take it away. But God has said to me time and time again, Bill, my power is unleashed in your battle for sexual purity. My power is is able to, to enter into you because you're weak enough to receive it. And here's some of the result of that. If you're a guy, if you have enough meetings with me, we're going to talk about your God-honoring sexuality because I am fearless to go there and talk to you guys about this. Um, And the reason I can be fearless is because I've made every mistake that you're probably going to make because I've lived for three times longer than a whole bunch of you, okay? And I've I've been so concerned to figure this out. I've done a lot of thinking about what it means to be a man of God. And, and it, it applies male and female. Um, we live in a time when gender is being attacked by the culture around us and by Satan. And there's a reason for that. The book of Genesis, God says, let us make mankind in our image. And then the next sentence, he says, and God created the male and female in his image. Our masculinity, our femininity is deeply tied to who we are as image bearers of God. So it makes sense that that gender is under attack in our culture. And you know what? If I hadn't been fighting this battle for 50 years, I wouldn't have the courage to speak into what's going on um, between us in genders and what's going on for men and women to develop a God-honoring sexuality. So I've talked with my kids about every aspect of their sexuality since they were preteens. I would never have been able to do that I would never have, have, have experienced God's power working through me and unleashed through me if I hadn't had that battle in my life. I can tell you, after nearly 50 years of wrestling with this, this has contributed more to my practice, devoted practice of spiritual disciplines than anything else. Because when I broke and when I fail, I, I cry out to God and I get down on my knees And I will fast, and I will pray, and I will repent, and I will immerse myself in the things of God so that I can become the man of God that he wants me to be. So, 
pull out your three by five card again, because there should be something on there that you did that is a sin. Should be something that, that, not just stuff that happened to you, but stuff that you perpetrated because you are broken, you are a sinner, you are weak. Find that, and maybe it's two or three things. Find anything there that you're responsible for. And here's what I want you to hear from the mouth of God. God says to you that in those places, his power is able to be unleashed so that you will become the person that you're supposed to be through those things and not in spite of those. All right. That's what God says. Then we have Paul's response to what God says. And Paul's response is a great model for us. And here's what the Apostle Paul says in the second sentence in 2 Corinthians 12, 19. He says, therefore, because God's grace is sufficient, we've settled that. It's the only thing that's going to be sufficient. God's grace is enough. And because God's power is unleashed in those very areas of my weakness, okay, Paul says, therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ will rest on me. That's a curveball. It's one thing for me to be aware of my weaknesses and to look forward to God's grace in my weaknesses, but Paul's taking and notching this up another whole level. He's saying, now, when God's grace is sufficient, when we really get that God's power is unleashed in our place of weakness, then we will boldly and gladly boast about our inadequacies. You did not learn that growing up as an Asian. You did not learn that growing up as a millennial. You did not learn that growing up in this world. Because that's a dynamic that is not from this world. That's a dynamic, a spiritual truth that God has established for all time. But the world will never tell you, boast in your weakness. The world will say, pretend you don't have them, fake it till you make it. The world will tell you all kinds of ways that you have to, to, to make your, sure your image is, is glittering before the whole world. That's not the way it works in the family of Jesus. In the family of Jesus, weird. We gladly boast in our failures and our inadequacies. We gladly boast about our weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest upon us. So that head injury I had in 2000. Um, I'd, I'd been pastoring in Panama. We, we'd pastored in Honduras and then in Panama for 10 years. And I'm pretty sure um, that I got to the point where I was working about 80 hours a week. Um, we started a Christian school, which is still going with like 500 students in Panama to this day. Um, we had English ministries. We had Hispanic ministries. The church grew from after the U.S. went in and invaded to go get Manuel Noriega in 98. The church went from under 100 to over 600 in like six months. And it was nuts. Lots and lots of good stuff was going on. But it was crazy. One of my spiritual directors said to me years later, she said, she said so much Spiritual growth for the church at such an incredible cost to your soul. This was the time when we had little children. So you guys think that Marla is a saint to be married to me now? (laughs) You should have seen what I was like before I lost 20% of my brain capacity. She is way more of a saint than any of you know. Um, and, And my kids are as well. So... 
You know, I finish up the position. When I left the church in Panama, they hired four pastors to do what I did. When I left the church in Panama, I, I had five personal assistants to try to keep up with all the stuff that I was spending. So I, we, we left Panama. I went up to a mega church in Minnesota where I was the, going to be, and I, I was the high-powered leadership development guy in a mega church. And God knew that he had to do something to get me to not wreck my life and wreck his church. So I was out sledding one afternoon with my son. And the sled took a jump and went down. And... Um, and I remember waking up twice um, as when they cut my clothes off in the ambulance, and then I woke up for a few minutes in the MRI machine. By the grace of God, he allowed me to have a brain injury so I could become a better person. I was doing more for God before than I've ever done since then. I didn't know how to slow down and love people deeply. By the grace of God, I boast in the fact that I can't do what I used to be able to do. I can't do that many hours. I get tired and I get headaches still to this day because I've got this brain injury thing. It's a great excuse. I love that. Whenever I forget stuff, ah, it must be the brain injury. Um, (laughs) By the grace of God, I want to boast that I am able to be here weaker than I was before because God has made me a better follower of Christ and a more loving friend, a more loving pastor, more loving dad more loving husband. Um, In the family of Jesus, we can boast about our weaknesses, folks. And I hope that when you get together in your your CGs this week, I hope that you'll actually share some of the things that you wrote down in your card. And I actually hope that you'll share the hardest ones. And that you won't just share them, but that you will be able to boast in how God has worked through those areas that have made you the most shy. So in the family of Jesus, we boast about our weakness. What would would really make it worth it to do that? And it's the second half of Paul's sentence. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that. These are connected. We can have our competence or we can have the character of Christ. We can have our perfection Or we can have the power of Christ. We can't have both. And the way that you get from one, the thing that transforms from one to the other is we begin to boast in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest upon us. So one of the questions we've got to face up to, what do we really want? Want to be successful in the world? Fine. You may not have the power of Christ resting upon you. You want to become less so that Christ can be more? Then the power of Christ can rest. And I, I actually, um, I'm going to be 62 years old tomorrow. Okay, so get it out of your system. Happy birthday. Got that right? Good. Okay, that's gone. All right. I don't want to live another day of my life without the power of Christ resting upon me. And I can truly tell you I have seen the power of God at work in the world more in the last three years being part of Cornerstone and being here in Boston. I've seen the power of Christ working in incredible ways. I mean, 
All of you who did your gifts and calling and are figuring that out, all of you who are are finding that you are called to justice and to do good in the world, all of you who are figuring out that in your your vocation you're supposed to make a difference for Christ, I have sat with person after person. I have sat with pastors in the city of Boston. I have never seen the power of God more at work in my entire life. I don't want to live another day without the power of God resting upon me. And can I encourage you? Boast gladly in your weaknesses so that you will experience the power of God resting on you. So, I got fired in my last church. (laughs) Ambush, politics, all kinds of things. I could explain the whole story to you, but it doesn't really matter. Um, If I'd had my my eyes open, I could have seen what was coming, but I didn't because I was clueless, right? There were... There were parts of it that were my fault, um, and there was all kinds of it that was unjust in so many ways. And, um, and you guys know, if you know me, you know how much I pour into being a pastor and how much I love um, my congregations. And, um, and so I showed up for a prayer, prayer meeting at church, and three of the board members were there to say, oh, by the way, there's not a prayer meeting. Um, we're here to fire you um, immediately without cause. And I tried to figure out what was going on. And it crushed me. It, and by the way, getting fired is not great for your career, okay? And it's really not good for your career as a pastor when you're 58 years old. And, um, and God allowed me to be broken. I wept and wept and wept. I tried to figure out, you know, what was I going to do next? What did God have in store for me? But if I hadn't been fired, I wouldn't have made it here to watch the power of God at work in our lives. I can now boast. There are three people. Most of the time, when pastors, by the way, when pastors get fired, it's usually three people or fewer who are the real instigators of it. There are three people who were the massive antagonists in my last church. And, um, And up until maybe a year and a half ago, if I'd seen them on the street, I would have gone across the street and avoided them. I think if I saw them today, I'd have to go up and say, I praise God for you because through you, God allowed me to experience his power. So I want to boast in the fact that you fired me because I get to see the power of God at work like I've never, ever seen it before. Most of you are going to get fired sometime, okay? What a great opportunity to boast so that the power of God will rest on you. So this Thanksgiving weekend, as we wrap up Um, the weekend, I want to encourage you to look again um, at what you wrote on your cards. I want to encourage you to be thankful for your weaknesses and your failures and your inadequacies. Because if you can be thankful for them, you can get off the treadmill of perfectionism. You can get off this need to perform and perform and perform and perform. You can get off this idea that it all depends on you because you know what? If you will let him, Christ will pour out his power on you and you'll have a more incredible life than you could ever imagine if you think that it all depends on you. So at the end of the book of of 2 Corinthians, um, Paul brings together these words of power and weakness again. Um, Remember there was another person in the Bible who prayed three times for his suffering to go away? 
Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, take this cup of affliction from me? God said, no. Because God had way bigger things that he was doing through Jesus' death on the cross than he could have done if he had taken that suffering from Jesus. And so Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, fitting conclusion to the fact that God's power is unleashed in weakness. Paul writes, For Christ was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. We also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. I want to encourage you. Boast gladly in your weaknesses and your sins so that you can live by the power of God throughout your life. And as I said at the very beginning, if you'll figure out that God's grace is sufficient for you, if you will receive God's grace, because some of you guys suck at receiving grace. You guys are really, really bad at this. Here's the problem. The people who are bad at receiving grace really suck at giving grace. If you won't learn that God's grace is sufficient for your own soul, would you please learn it for the sake of the people that you love the most? Because if you can receive God's incredible grace poured out to you, especially in your times when you fail, then you will be able to give that kind of grace And all the people in your life don't have to meet your expectations anymore because you've freed them and given them that grace of God to be who they're supposed to be, not who you think they're supposed to be. So this isn't just for you. It's for the community. It's for the people that you love the most. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there was nothing weaker in your life than your death. There was no greater injustice in your life than when you were crucified. And people stood around and taunted and said, if he raises others from the dead, let him come down and off of that cross. There may have been no greater expression of weakness in the history of the universe, Lord Jesus, than you on the cross. But because you were willing, because you didn't think that the most important thing that defined you was your weakness, because you were willing for the power of God to work in you, you died. And the power of God raised you from the dead. Even you had to learn how to appreciate and boast in your weaknesses. And now we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. We boast in your cross. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you change our orientation and our definition of ourselves so that we make room for your grace to be sufficient, for your power to be unleashed, that we might boast in our weaknesses so that your power would rest upon us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.